You're listening to Vermont Credit Unions On Air, a service of the Association of Vermont Credit Unions. 2022 midterm elections were a little over one week ago. Other vote recounts in a few Vermont House races still exist. Uh, election results for key positions were mostly as expected. Still, there'll be a, a lot of new faces in the State House when the legislature convenes in January. So we're here today with uh, point people of the association's advocacy team to analyze results and maybe do a little forecasting of what we can expect from the 2023 Vermont legislature. Adam Nekrasen is president of the Nekrasen Group, steering one of Vermont's leading governmental affairs and communications firms. And Jessica Oski is Nekrasen Group's daily manager of issues important to credit unions in the Vermont State House. Thanks to both of you for joining us today. And Jessica, why don't we uh, why don't we start start with you? Great, thanks, Joe. Um, as you said, there were no big surprises this year in Vermont's election results. Um, the government re- remained solidly divided between a very popular moderate Governor Scott and an increasingly liberal legislature. Uh, Governor Scott was reelected to a fourth term, and Democrats easily won the other statewide offices. They'll retain the Democrats will retain control of the House and the Senate with um, something a little bit new, which is a comfortable, for the House, a comfortable veto-proof potential majorities in both chambers. And I say potential because, as Adam can get into a little bit of, um, it really depends on the nature of the issue. Um, these Both of the Republican and Democrat blocks are not solid. Um, it really depends on what we're talking about. Um, let. Uh, meaning, uh, meaning within those respective yeah. parties, there are some differences of opinion. Yeah. yeah. Both the constitutional amendments that were on the ballot, the Reproductive Liberty Amendment and the amendment to clarify that slavery and, and indentured servitude are prohibited, they both won overwhelming support. Uh, the Vermonters sent a new record this year with um, for a midterm election with close to 300,000 votes ca- cast. That's about 57% of eligible voters. And the state saw its highest voter turnout in the 2020 presidential election, which was 60%. So this was very high for a midterm. And also about 75% of votes were cast with mail-in ballots. Um, no, S- 75% you said? 75% of the votes that were cast wow, were cast with seems really mail-in ballots. Um, n- only of interest to a minority of your listeners, but Burlington voters approved a new high school bond by a wide margin. It was a $162 million bond, which is a big deal. Um, As you said, and as we've just mentioned, there are no big surprises. Congressman Peter Welch won uh, the the open seat left by um, retiring Senator Patrick Leahy. He won with 68% of the vote. Uh, Becca Ballant won the race for Vermont's lone open congressional seat that was vacated by Peter Welch, and she won um, at 62% of the vote. As we mentioned, Phil Scott won handily, lieutenant governor. um, In the lieutenant governor's race, Democrat and former lieutenant governor David Zuckerman beat Republican State Senator Joe Benning to win the open seat. And that was probably the most um, close and most contested race. Uh, Joe Benning is in the uh, is a Republican sim- in a similar vein to Phil Scott and had pretty broad support, won a number of towns, but overall um, Zuckerman took the race at 54%. In the race for Attorney General, um, Democrat Charity Clark easily beat her Republican challenger with 65% of the vote. 
same in the Secretary of State's race. Sarah Copeland Hansas um, sailed to victory with 65%. Treasurer's race, uh, pr- former Commissioner of Financial Regulation in the Scott administration, um, Mike Pichak beat um, his opponent with 65% of the vote. And Doug Hoffer also won re-election to his sixth term as state auditor. In the Senate, as I mentioned, the Senate will um, continue to have a strong majority um, of 23 to 7. The Democrats have a majority of 23 to 7. And a couple of the key races were Mark McDonald um, in Orange County won his race, a tight race against John Clark. And Mark McDonald recently had had a, a stroke. And in Chittenden North, a new district that was created with redistricting, Irene Renner, who is a um, town council person in Essex, defeated Leland Morgan, who had been a House member, and that was a surprise to many. And in the House, again, it looks like the, as you mentioned, there's a few recounts in the House, but they're they're unlikely to to um, change the mm-hmm. outcome of the vote count right now for Democrats is about 104 seats to um, progressives with five seats, Republican with 38 seats, and independents with three seats. And the the veto, um, the two-thirds veto threshold is 100 votes or, or um, 100 of 150, and Democrats have 104. Right. With the progressives added on, that's 109. So that's a pretty comfortable... So even if those three recounts went Republican, um, it, it wouldn't matter from a, a veto-proof majority perspective. Right. So that's the top lines, and I think Adam can probably give a little bit of texture to some of that. Cool. Thanks, Jessica. Yeah, happy to, and um, great job, Jessica, kind of highlighting the results. A um, couple, couple observations about all this. It's a very interesting electorate in Vermont that continually produces high popularity for Bernie Sanders in a liberal state legislature and a Republican governor. I mean, it's, it, it is a remarkable thing and very um, kind of New England, Yankee-minded independence that uh, produces that type of a result. You know, at the end of the day, our campaigns lack the negative television advertising that happens when you, in, in other states, like just look at what was going on in New Hampshire. If you turn on your television in the WCAX media market covering New Hampshire, you saw brutal attack ads from both sides. Ver- Vermont continues to be a positive election environment where, um, you know, some voters are driven by issues, but clearly producing a result a liberal legislature, a Bernie Sanders U.S. Senate, a Phil Scott and a Jim Douglas as governor, you know, it tells me favorability, likability, being responsible really motivates a lot of voters. Now, um, that's the margin that's in the middle that produces the result. Clearly, we have a lot of partisanship on both sides um, in the kind of core Republican and core liberal voter block. But the, the middle is where the Results are found in Vermont, and they produce a lot of Democrats and a steady um, statewide Republican governor posture. Mm -hmm. Now, um, with regard to this election, a few things that jump out, just talking about the state of Vermont and uh, different regions. Um, 
Rutland County and Franklin County solidified their Republican roots in this election. You know, they produce Republican state senators, a lot of Republican members in the House, and along with the Northeast Kingdom, we see the Northeast Kingdom, Rutland, and Franklin County being pretty solidly red. Um, Unsurprisingly, Chittenden, down the interstate through Washington County, the Upper Valley, down Wyndham County, um, back to the land in the 1970s, produced a liberalization there, and that is solidly Democrat, liberal, progressive voting territory. Um, the swing space that Jessica talked about was a new district, Milton and Essex. And I guess we all thought Milton's kind of Republican roots would come through in that new district. This is the uh, Irene Renner state senator race, and it, it was the one surprise to see um, a f- I think it was like 52 to f- 48. It was really close or some slim margin that the Democrat won there. But it was, um, you know, it's it, it's a sign of the times in the expansion of the Chittenden County kind of politics into that uh, area. Now, um, other noteworthy things, vote by, vote by mail worked in Vermont. The lack of drama and controversy that we see around voting in other states um, is, is really noteworthy here. And I call it a top line of our state election results because um, we had universal vote by mail and there was there's not um, controversy about it. It's really probably a testament to local town clerks. It's still New England style, locally rooted government. The people counting ballots are community members volunteering together and they um, you know, trust each other and it works out well. So do you think that 75% of votes cast being done by by mail is is going to continue? Yes. Yes. And it's transformed campaigns. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's always going to be some people that go for a while that go to the ballot box on, you know, I'm oh, among them right. because I do things on deadline. You know, there's nothing wrong <laughs> with showing up on time. I tell everyone at work, it's okay. Let's do today. Or you like to go schmooze with the uh, politicians. Uh, yeah, I do. I like outside. to. Yeah. There, um, there's also a few glitches in the vote by mail structure because it doesn't it, there hasn't um, the legislature hasn't figured out how to allow for certain local questions to get on the mail-in ballot so if you wanted to vote in Addison County there were a couple bond issues some school questions and in Chittenden County we had the solid waste district vote um, that didn't get on the mail ballot so you had to go to the polls if you wanted to vote on those things so that would mean then that if 75% of the votes cast, just generally speaking, were by remote or, or by mail, that some of those issues that passed uh, pertinent to a particular municipality, it passed or failed, it was by a small, pretty small number of votes. Yeah, some people cast their ballot by mail and then went to the polls to vote on the local question. Um, but you have to be a pretty committed voter yeah, to do that. Pretty dedicated. Right? <laughs> yeah, I did that. <laughs> yeah. You did. Yeah. Wow. Well, we're working to promote the recycling center, so at our office it would have been uh, no. But um, yeah, the vote by mail trend will continue, and it transforms campaigns because it's no longer a crescendo moment where your television ads in the last, you know, the advertising in the last ten days is when you know it used to be that you would the reason. The reasoning was, 
well, about half the voters are deciding ahead of time, and half of them are deciding the last 10 days. And so they're kind of being warmed up by the campaign. But your closing run as a candidate would be a big spend and a big focus, and right. you'd have like a closing argument. Uh, it, it's it's flattened the the engagement or moved it earlier. I would think it's moved it earlier because we didn't see this year in my my travels uh, didn't see anywhere near the for example small scale here but the yard signs the lawn signs uh, that I have in past elections you know you used to see them start to mount up until the last week or two and whatnot and that wasn't the that's case right. yeah. that's right we, we did see and we'll see this growing more and more because the winning campaigns I mean the governor really cruised to victory and so sure. you, we're not looking we're not gaining a lot of insight into modern elections by um, you know he he largely stood for re-election mm-hmm. I mean he was at debates when asked by the reporters what are your new ideas you're going before the electorate um, and this is basically a, a quote well I'm not bringing any new ideas mm-hmm. I, I'll have a budget in January and mm-hmm. so it's a y- unique posture to be that popular that you can run for re-election and openly say I'm not making any initiatives Um, but the that race aside what we saw in the more energized campaigns state senate and um, the federal races a phenomenal volume of phone calls are now being made you know I think it's Becca Balance said her campaign made 550,000 phone calls wow and so and text messages and text messages well my goodness the text messaging is different I, once they get your number you're in there because i don't re- before remember getting i mean robo texting is now in our lives the way robo calls used to be but campaigns have really moved to text messaging engagement and so tons of phone calling national phone calling right like you get involved and if you're you're calling around, you know, volunteers are calling New Hampshire to help over there and um, all probably routed through switchboards that are a piece of new technology that right. make it so a volunteer can be at home and get, well, here's the next number to call. Uh, it used to be a paper list and everybody sure. had to go to a conference room at a law firm in a local right. community or some business and sit around with somebody who had the lists. It's technology is transforming the engagement. It's the online advertising, the texting, and the phone calling is replacing the crescendo television there, advertising. There was a lot of shoe leather in this in this campaign too, and you saw that on social media. You saw that the candidates were going town to town. They were meeting with people, and they like to post pictures of themselves in every town in the state. A couple of the campaigns, I think Mike Pichek's campaign and the governor's campaign, um, I think Mike Pichak, he made a goal of going to every town in the state, 251 towns, and he went to every one and documented it. Right. Um, and that kind of shoe leather does pay off. It's worth it now because you can put it on social media. I mean, you go to a rural Vermont town and run into the store clerk. Well, now you know, you're know you geo-targeting everybody on social media in that town to see the photo of you in that town. Mm-hmm. It is a different world in elections. In terms of the outcome, you know, there were a few open seats that flipped from Democrat to Republican or Republican to Democrat, but for the most part, except in three cases, incumbents were 
reelected. There were three notable cases where incumbents were tossed, but um, it's still a safe bet that if you um, get elected, you can stay elected if you do the work. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Also noteworthy from this election season is the next generation that's coming in. And this is less about how a campaign was run and more about who is running. Um, Historically, and Jessica and I together have been working in Montpelier for nearly 30 years, it's been older retired people or the rare professional who's got um, self-employment that can allow it. Uh, There have not been a lot of young people in the state capitol youth activism from years ago is producing a new crop of lawmakers that are younger and connected to communities in different ways and issues. And we see that in this year's election results. Also noteworthy is more diversity, something, Jessica, you would you know be more able to kind of uh, point out the details there, but it's my general sense that we're going to have more diversity and inclusion in the makeup of the legislature and it will take a few years for that new generation and that diversity to settle in Um, but we are now in a circumstance where there's kind of generational transition happening in the state capitol so i i imagine uh that you know the story used to be like you were saying the the vermont legislature and probably common in other state houses um, or at least some of them um, was you know an older generation, predominantly uh, in the House and the Senate, um, because it's the people that you know had the time to do so, or maybe the financial resources to do so, or or the ability from whatever kind of work they were doing. What do you suppose is different about this new crop of new lawmakers, newly elected lawmakers, that are at a younger age? Um, you know, is it that they they don't have the same constraints anymore because of different values because of those generations that they're not not raising families and you know having the same type of employment and all that kind of stuff, or is it that it's the same but they are just more active? Uh, well, probably a little bit of everything. One thing I suspect is remote work enables uh, people to have um, an expanded day. Sure. I think that has a lot to do with it. And if you look at the individuals, um, you'll see that some are without children, and that allows them some flexibility. I think some of it is remote work. Some of them are partnered with somebody that is working, and that gives them some flexibility because the job does not pay very much, and it is a lot of time. Even And there's a lot of hours that you don't get paid for. Yeah, it's Um, largely a... uh, well, it's a losing economic pr- proposition to be a lawmaker in Vermont. I mean, Senator Cory Parent would tell you just the gas money he spent alone running around his district <laughs> would swallow, you know, the pay. Um, so it takes a real commitment to public service and a u- unique willingness to make some personal sacrifice for it. Sure. Um, but people are motivated, you know, and I, what we see with this – new generation of leaders is more is, is passion around issues lots of passion coming you know less i'm just here to represent my community more i'm here to do that and push an agenda so from this new makeup in a new set of 180 lawmakers in the vermont state house what are the issues going to be in 2023 
are we back to, you know, pandemic is more or less behind us. There's probably a, a few remnants of pandemic related issues they're going to be dealing with, but for the most part, it's kind of back to the the big issues of the day that state government typically has to deal with. Yeah, and that's a great kind of closing piece. I will take a high level pass at that, Jessica, which is to say you're um, you're right, Joe. It's our sense we're kind of post COVID in the right. state capital. Um, for those um, uh, among us here today that are used to going to the state house, we think there'll be a return to that. Mm-hmm. There'll be this atmosphere, you know, a new hybrid participation. We'll be bringing in expert witnesses remotely, but back to the state house we all go. Um, the the top line issues will be a continued kind of allocation of. Um, one-time money because we're still in a little bit of the the high from all that federal uh, surge in spending. But workforce, affordable housing, child care, the basics of trying to support the economy, um, the governor and lawmakers share that in common because it's really how do we kind of support families being in the workforce. Right. It's no, Vermont's number one problem. And so that will be a, a, a hot topic um, for sure. Uh, additional things, the United States Supreme Court made some big decisions this past summer in public education, um, reproductive health, uh, gun violence prevention. And in all three of those areas, we'll see the legislature try to kind of navigate uh, Vermont footing in a changed federalism mm-hmm. posture. And so that's kind of noteworthy number two. Um, then the hot topics of climate change and, uh, you know, the governor's agenda will largely be centered around fiscal responsible spending. And Jessica, what jumps out yeah. at you? Housing, childcare, transportation, all the things that take a long time, problems that take a long time to solve. And these legislators only have two years at a time. So we're still at it. Um, and, the workforce issues are compounded by the lack of housing and the lack of childcare. So all those those issues have to go hand in hand, and solutions are floating around. Um, and we'll see where they land, but they're going to be top of everyone's mind. Much lesser issue, but do you think either one of you think that the um, the the um, rising age of Vermont residents uh, is going to come into the mix again somehow since those incentive programs just kind of ended or are about to end? Yeah, I mean, trying to find um, a place for your aging parents to live. Mm-hmm. Um, the There's, you know, we have enough nursing home and assisted living beds, but we don't have the staff to staff them. So all of those issues, I'm trying to bring more people to Vermont, trying to um, come up with some creative solutions. I think the problem is that New Hampshire and New York are struggling with the same issues in mm. Massachusetts. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, and, and as we, and what will be occurring is the end of one-time federal supports around, around like, right. tenants and uh it's going to be an interesting winter because Vermont cannot afford to backfill those kind of one-time special supports and inflation has gone through the roof in the meantime. Right. And so, you know, we'll, the unexpected issues will be people struggling with homelessness and, you know, uh, 
And, the, and those unexpected issues are issues that uh, were in the legislature before COVID. That's right. Right. Yeah, it's the basic human services challenges that the state of Vermont and the workforce struggles are, at the end of the day, what lawmakers are centered around. So everyone was saying during COVID, there's not going to be any back to normal, except on the issues in the state house uh, yeah. when you're done with the pandemic. That's right. <laughs> Grow the economy and, you know, right. foster your people. That's right. why the governor's not bringing any new ideas, because his old <laughs> ideas are still on the table. That's that is true. It's fair to right. say. Yeah. 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 Well, great. It's been uh, a pleasure chatting with both of you. Thanks for bringing all these insights about the 2022 midterm election and the issues we can expect to see coming up. Uh, come January of 2023 in the Vermont legislature. Um, and so it is that time where we've uh, reached the end of another Vermont Credians on Air podcast, and we hope you have found it interesting. Hear all of our previously recorded podcasts by searching for Vermont Credians on Air in the iTunes store, soundcloud.com, or in your favorite podcast player. If you've got ideas for podcasts on something you'd like to hear about, send it to podcast at vermontcreditunions.coop. In the meantime, this is Joe Bergeron with Jessica Oski and Adam Nekrasen thanking you for listening. <laughs>